I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us now worship the Lord our God.
give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the name of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Gracious and merciful God. In Jesus Christ, you entered into our humanity to end our rebellion with your declaration of peace. Even now, by your Holy Spirit, you enter into our hearts and minds to prepare the way for your word. So calm our hearts, clear our minds, in order that we might hear you and know you, and grant us the courage and love we need each day to obey you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered in this sanctuary, as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord. And as we say, we say each week, because it is in the Lord's name that we have gathered, that means that our word of welcome is one that is unconditional. All are welcome in Christ's house, so all are welcome here at First Church. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, please to sign the friendship pad. You'll see that on your pew if you will sign your name and send it down and back again. That will give us the advantage of one another's names following worship. And likewise, we would be delighted to invite you to a time of fellowship, which will take place in Old Buttonwood Hall, just out this door to my right and down a very short hallway. There you will find that our deacons have prepared light refreshments, but most importantly, you will find the opportunity for us to engage with one another in our common life together. Regarding our common life together, I call to your attention the announcements on the rear of your bulletin. The first thing that I would like to highlight is that the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force will have a meeting following worship today in the McCall Room. That's just up the stairs back behind me. And uh, if you are interested in the work of the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force, if you have ideas or if you simply need a space held to offer lament, please plan to go to the McCall Room and meet with our Gun Violence Prevention Task Force after you've been by Fellowship Hall, of course. I'd also like to invite our TNTs, our 20s and 30s, to a brunch following this worship service. That will, They will depart from Old Buttonwood as well, so congregate in one corner, and I'll try to find you when I can get in there to you uh, for the TNT brunch. You'll note as well we have an ongoing uh, collection for our Linton Drive. That will go on past Easter, but if you have contributions you'd like to make to that, you will see that there's a list on the back of one of the inserts in the bulletin, on the back of the Holy Week Services insert that you may use to make your donations to benefit St. Barnabas. Uh, I'd also like to highlight as well that um, 
Your one great hour of sharing offering will be collected next week, whether you have it in the form of a fish bank or a check you would like to put in the, in the offering to benefit one great hour of sharing. You can learn more about that ministry on our church website. I do have two notes about the music that are uh, exciting today. The first, I mean, you all know that we have an incredibly talented choir, but what you may not know is that many of our talented choir members are multifaceted musicians. And both of the anthems today were composed by members of our chancel choir, Maya Dunawald and Nick Lombardelli. We are indeed blessed by the use of their gifts with, among us in worship. Also, you have a homework assignment, Andrew tells me. As you know, our service music changes seasonally with the liturgical seasons. And so you will receive a video via email um, with the service music so that you may acquaint yourself with it ahead of Easter worship next Sunday. Look for that in your inbox tomorrow morning. The choir has recorded all the music to make it easy for you to learn it. So that is your homework for Easter Sunday. Our minute for mission will be postponed to another date due to an illness of our speaker. So with that, be, all these things noted, we now move to our prayers of confession. We praise a God who is holy, righteous, and just, remembering that we are none of these things. We come before God in order that God may both judge, forgive, and restore us so that we leave this place to go and do the right we should always do. Let us join together in our common prayer of confession. God of the insignificant and unimportant, how easy it is to get excited when the parade starts to form. Jesus appears. We cut the palm branches and throw our own clothes on the road to form a path. It's a delight to follow when following is easy. But too soon, too soon, the crowd scatters. The hosannas fade. The words that form in our lips are, I know the man not. Be with us, Lord, when we, in our sin, we confuse what it means to follow. Show us again how you are in the small things, the murmured sound of kindness, the gentle touch of the hand, eye contact, help, and return. Remind us once more that you are as much our God in the mundane moments and the quiet days as in the trumpets. And remind us, enable us to follow you even to the foot of the cross. Apostle Paul says the conclusion of the matter is this. 
There is no condemnation for those who are united with Christ Jesus. By sending his own son in a form like that of our own sinful nature, and as a sacrifice for sin, God has passed judgment against sin in that very nature, so that the commandments of the law may find fulfillment in us. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first lesson is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, the 21st chapter, the first 11 verses. Listen for the word of God to us this day. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, 
saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and her colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. So this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There's an old song from the 1930s called I Love a Parade that captures the essence of the experience of parade going. Here are a few lines. Look, here they come, oh, what a sight, listen to the crowd, they're cheering, hip, hip, hooray, oh, everybody loves a parade. And there is something about the festive air of everyone crowding the street. There's just something about that ticker tape progression that captures the imagination of the folks on the side of the road, the crowding and jockeying for position, the anticipation of the big event, the way the sound of it all comes in a wave before the actual floats or cars come through, the continuous crescendo, decrescendo of the headline events coming and going before the grandstand. Everybody loves a parade. 
Of course, the parade of Jesus' day, you no doubt know, would have looked quite a bit different from the Macy's Thanksgiving show. It would have had more in common with a show of military force, and you know that image also, the, the goose-stepping soldiers and the missile launchers being driven by for review. There are a few later verses that capture that reality. That rat-a-tat-tat, that flare of a horn, that rat-a-tat-tat, a bright uniform. The sight of the drill will give me a thrill. I thrill at the skill of anything military. Before it concludes, I love a parade, a handful of vets, a line of cadets, or any brigade, for I love a parade. Yeah, that's more like it. A military parade. Now that's what Jesus' people were used to. They're used to the Roman army parading through the streets with generals in chariots and enslaved prisoners of war in chains. The way it worked is when the signal went out, everyone had to leave what they were doing and crowd into the streets, gather into the streets to take in the show. The show, of course, being the display of Roman power. Attendance was not optional. You will enjoy the parade. And if you don't, the beatings will continue until morale improves. That's the parade Jesus' people knew. But of course there is the parade of Palm Sunday. The disciples go out and find a donkey for Jesus to ride. He comes into the city on the donkey, clomping along, not one bit of grandeur about him, as the text says, humble. There's no charging war horses, no muscled gladiators, just a 33-year-old carpenter riding on the knock-kneed foal of a donkey. As the parade started to form, imagine the faces in the crowd as they look on bemusedly at first, then cracking into a grin as they hear the words whispered down the road ahead of the main event. Psst! He's on a donkey! Finally, the noble steed and the illustrious rider come into view and the crowd bursts into laughter as they get the joke. This isn't a military parade, or if it is, it's more like Barney Fife holding up his one bullet than it is a missile launcher. And in the thick of it, Jesus, not the butt of the joke, but the originator, laughing with those who laughed and looking over the heads of the crowd at the disapproving priests and the furious officers of the garrison. Humble. Humble. Of course he was. Would you expect anything else? But do you wonder, what is he really thinking? What's going on inside? Because we do know what will happen next. We know because Jesus has told us, just as Jesus told his disciples, what will happen next. In Matthew's Gospel, just like in his source, Mark, Jesus tells the disciples plainly and repeatedly what is going to happen next. The whole show is leading up to this confrontation, this deadly trip to Jerusalem. And there he is, humble. 
And you do just have to wonder what is going on under the surface. Years ago, I took a class entitled Clergy and Their Context. It was supposed to make clergy think of ways of understanding our congregations that we might not have otherwise considered. It was a great class. We had case studies of engaging congregations through film. One particularly difficult case study recounting a congregation that had a deeply painful history but covered it up because that always goes well. And then finally, our professor had us read a novel. He assigned us Glittering Images by Susan Howitch. Howitch spins a brilliant yarn, and she deals with heavy issues. And in the spirit of full disclosure, I deeply hope that she has subsequently addressed a few of the unconscious biases that are evident in her writing. But in Glittering Images, she tells the story of a bishop of a fictional diocese called Starbridge in the English countryside. And I won't tell you the plot, but what I will tell you is that the reason the professor had us read this novel was because it was itself a case study in the Jungian archetype of the persona, or to use perhaps a slightly easier term to understand, the mask. Our professor assumed that clergy are forced to assume certain personas, masks, if you will, in order to do our jobs. And so he was concerned that we avoid what Jung called disintegration. If the distance between the persona presented and the reality underneath became too great of a disjuncture, which is, spoiler alert, what happens in the novel. But while the class was intended for clergy, I hardly believe that ministers corner the market on this particular behavior. I know that all of us have occasions to present a persona, and I know also that sometimes those personas linger a touch longer than is absolutely healthy for us. I expect there are a number of well-worn masks that are all too familiar for those sitting in this room. How often have we worn perhaps a mask of bravery for children while hiding the reality of fear, perhaps of what the pediatrician said? Or have we put on a mask of bravado as we walk just ever so much faster in the dark to get to our car. Or perhaps it's the mask of happiness even when, say, your youngest child goes to kindergarten for the first day and the minute the teacher closes the door to begin class, the persona crumbles with the sharp reality that one season of life has just ended and another one begun. We could all make our lists ourselves, but today I wonder what it felt like to be Jesus in that particular moment, laughing with the people who laugh and being swept up with the emotions of the crowd, but 
all the while knowing, knowing what was coming. As the donkey climbed the cobbled alleys upward into the city, each step carried his rider a little closer to the coming unmasking, as ultimately the man on the colt is stripped and whipped. As Jesus felt the swirl of human emotions, I wonder, did people really see him? Could they? see him, or could they only see what they wanted to see? God is revealed fully in Jesus Christ, but theologians tell us that revelation is a revelation in hiddenness. So there is no mask where God is concerned, but be sure of this. Jesus knows all about all the masks we wear. And he knows what underlies them as well. Now the power of identifying masks lies in knowing them. All of us can adopt a persona for a while if it makes life easier and what lies ahead smoother. It is coming to believe that the person is, persona is the same as the self where the danger lies. But when the self can no longer live up, the persona, the mask disintegrates. And if the self is too closely identified with the mask, the risk is that the self disintegrates as well. Jesus knows all the ways we present ourselves. He knows because he lived among us. But it is underneath the mask that interests God. It is the self that carries its struggles underneath what is seen that God values more than any mask. It is our essential self, what lies within us, that compels Jesus up that road.
Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and after some twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene called Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The upward walk into the city will leave few masks intact. The danger of seeing ourselves in the story is that we might begin to substitute our own experience for that of the gospel. However, in this instance, I'm not sure we'll take that luxury because the Easter story with its triumphal entry and palm branches waving, with its cross and suffering, its sadness and its garden tomb is in its way about unmasking. Perhaps you remember the movie Dangerous Liaisons. It was popular in the 80s and a remake of it occurred sometime later with the perhaps more accurate title Cruel Intentions. Glenn Close masterfully plays the cynical Marquis de Mertuis and John Malkovich is the equally rapacious Vicomte de Valmont. They play off the pettiness and jealousies of the French court, amusing themselves at the expense of others with little cost to the thought of their actions. It's only at the end of the film that it appears that either of them has anything resembling a heart when Valmont is mortally wounded and the Marquis is humiliated and booed out of the Paris Opera House. That's the only time we see an ounce of humanity from either of them. The image that lingers with me, though, is at the end of the film, the Marquis, whose performance ends as she, the closest performance ends, as she begins wiping off from her face the heavy makeup that she is wearing, and she smears her red lipstick across the white mask of her face, and a tear begins slowly to trickle down her cheek. It is the awareness of our own sin that will not permit us to maintain the illusion that we may remain masked before God. But unlike Jung's psychological stages where restoration follows disintegration, the cross offers not restoration but revelation. What is revealed in the cross is the sin of humankind. It may not all be laid out there word for word in the ways we identify it, but it is there to be sure. 
the ugliness of racism, the fury of sexism, the degradation of homophobia, the powerlessness of poverty, the isolation of mental and emotional illness, as we turn from the parade of palms and let the donkey go back to its owner, as we continue the walk through the long, lonesome valley of the Last Supper, as we observe the failure of the disciples to keep watch and then see Jesus' sham trial and very real execution, we see the ugliness of sin revealed. The cross unmasks the ugliness of sin. The cross shows the breadth and width and depth of human sin. The cross lays bare every bit of it. Nothing is hidden. But it also reveals the fullness of humanity in Jesus Christ and in the deep and abiding kindness of God. What does it mean to be human? In the living of Jesus' life, his teachings, his healings, his friendship, his laughter, his tears, it means to be authentically present with one another, to value the other, and to be willing to be known by the other. To be human in the way that Jesus is human is a life without masks, a life without personas in the way. To be human in the way that Jesus is human is to experience the fullness of the love of God reflected in relationships between us. So likewise, the cross shows the deep and abiding kindness of God. I say kindness because I am not sure that the word mercy goes deep enough. Mercy is when a punishment is owed and the convict is spared it. And yes, God does give us mercy. But more than that, God looks on us with kindness. Not only the persona we present, but also our deepest selves. God looks with kindness and compassion, not at what we choose to show, but at who we are. God looks upon our truest, most authentic interior self, and God loves us. The cross is the act of revelation where all is shown plainly. Judgment is rendered, a terrible price is exacted. The cross is an act of injustice that rends the very heart of God. To see it as less is to miss its point.
the cross is the tragedy of the gospel. We will come, of course, in the reading of this story to the resurrection. It is the resurrection that is the restorative act of God. In the cross, the cruelest realities of our failings are laid plainly in the harsh light of judgment. But make no mistake about it, in the act of resurrection, God is restoring. And we will come to that soon enough. But until then, as we consider the cross and all that it reveals, remember that ultimately, God is engaged in a different act, the revealing of our truest selves, the selves that God created us to be, the self that God loves deeply and completely. That is the message of the cross. It is also the message of the gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Beloved, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He will pay all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. The psalmist says, ascribe to the Lord the glory God, due God's name. Bring a gift and come into God's courts. The morning's offering will now be received. You're invited to come forward if you wish here in this room to place your gift in the basket. You may also donate online and all those remotely can find instructions on our website.
almighty and eternal God, we make what gifts we can to you who first gifted yourself to us. Please accept these tokens of our lives, of our honor, and use them in the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist says, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us give thanks and rejoice in it. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, from the beginning, you have exerted yourself on your creation's behalf, refusing to permit the forces that threaten to destroy it to remain in power, but rather you have invaded, you have entered in, you have countered their invasion of creation with your own creative word, your word that makes peace. Against the primal forces of chaos, you spoke the word, let there be light, and the word came to be. Against the rebellion of the human race, you spoke the word of reconciliation in our Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel came to be. And against all that remains to mar the peace and unity and health of the world, even now in Holy Spirit, you speak a word that sustains and calls us to fellowships of justice, truth, healing, and love. Therefore, we know you to be our God, our defender and Lord, the one who comes in peace to take possession of what was rightfully your own from the beginning. And so we greet you always with the hosannas you deserve and add our own thanksgiving and praise. Yet the world and even our own hearts seem to us as lawless and as chaotic as ever. There is much that goes on around us and within us that seems to mock your rule as king and to defy your command as sovereign. We confess our own rebellion and pray for the faith, hope, and love we need each day to become more obedient to your will. And we pray for this world in which we live, in all of its dimensions, Lord God, speak to your sovereign world with sovereign peace. To all who are sick, to all who suffer pain, to all who endure the increasing limitations of their own bodies due to age or disease, Lord, speak peace. To all who grieve the loss of a loved one, Lord God, speak peace. To all who suffer in their relationships, to all whose families are disrupted by anger or abuse, speak peace. To all who are victims of neglect or of bigotry or of intoxicants or vice, Lord God, speak peace and bring freedom. To all who are victims of economic dislocation or of famine or of poverty or of homelessness, Lord God, speak peace and bring justice. 
to all who are victims of war and revolution, of militarism and oppression, of torture and terrorism. Lord God, speak peace and by your spirit, move your children into the ways of justice and freedom. Gracious and merciful God, our creator, our reconciler and our sustainer, you have spoken your word of peace to the world once and for all in our Lord Jesus Christ. In him, the human cause has found its one true champion and defender. Through him, your creative will for the world even now finds expression and fulfillment. Through him, you maintain your sovereign right and way in a lawless place. Through his gospel, you even now enter into every fortress and city still held against you and do the work of peace among your enemies. Just so, enlist us in your cause. Teach us your ways of peace and send us into every situation in our lives as your ambassadors and peacemakers for your name's sake. And to you be all glory and praise and honor. Hosanna to our Lord and God in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our prayers with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
because of the nature of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the mystery of the triune God, the cross rends at the heart of God. And that is why it reveals not only the sin of humankind, but also the depth of the love of God. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.